Dystonia is a movement disorder characterized by sustained muscle contractions, usually producing twisting and repetitive movements or abnormal postures or positions in different parts of the body. While dystonia is incurable, symptoms can often be treated. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothill Psychiatry in Boise, Idaho, your host. And with me today is Dr. Joseph Jankovic, Professor of Neurology and Director of the Parkinson's Disease Center and Movement Disorders Clinic at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. Thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity to talk to you about dystonia. Let's start with the simple question. What is dystonia, Dr. Jankovic? Well, dystonia is one of the movement disorders that we treat in our clinic, and it's a form of neurologic dysfunction that causes sustained involuntary contraction of muscles and may be manifested by sort of a squeezing type of movements. For example, in patients with blepharospasm, involuntary closure of the eyes, and the squeezing of the eyelids. Probably the most common form of dystonia uh, is dystonic Reiser's cramp. Yet, majority of patients who have dystonic right cramp probably never seek medical attention uh, because they think that it's related to stress or could be normal. But this is just a form of dystonia. What I just mentioned, the blepharospasm and dystonic right cramp are examples of focal dystonia. And there are patients who have more segmental dystonia so that uh, the dystonia can uh, involve not only one part of the limb but adjacent body part. Cervical dystonia or torticollis would be a good example of focal dystonia that is often associated with other types of dystonia such as oromandibular dystonia, jaw dystonia, and maybe also be associated with blepharospasm. And then there are generalized dystonias where the whole body is involved, including the trunk and legs, and these patients often end up in a wheelchair or become bedridden because of the generalized dystonia. So it sounds like it can affect pretty much any muscle group in the body? Right, and it's skeletal muscle the body can be uh, affected by dystonia, that's true. How common is it? Depends, you know, how you define it. So, for example, Reiter's cramp um, has never been studied from an epidemiological standpoint, yet I suspect that maybe 20% of the general population has a dystonic, you know, Reiter's cramp. Now, the more common forms of dystonia that we see in the clinic, like blepharospasm and cervical dystonia, are relatively uncommon, but still disabling disorders. And do people still get writer's cramp with the advent of computers? <laughs> uh, well, some get uh, what is called task-specific uh, dystonia. Uh, so instead of having dystonia when writing, they have dystonia when using a computer mouse or keyboard. Uh, dystonia is very common among musicians, and uh, we are, in fact, very interested in musicians' dystonia. Many famous musicians' career ended as a result of uh, dystonia, such as Leon Fleischer, for example. So these are mostly, what, guitar players, or what type of musicians are most well, at risk? Well, almost any musical instrument has been associated with uh, dystonia. You know, Leon Flusher is probably the most famous uh, musician, pianist, uh, who, whose career almost ended before he was treated because he developed dystonia in the right hand. But there are a number of other pianists, uh, violinists. I have patients in my clinic who are uh, uh, drummers who play uh, the guitar, banjo, uh, so almost any mm. instrument uh, can be affected by this uh, task-specific uh, dystonia. So it sounds like repetitive movements clearly is a risk factor. That is an interesting point. In the past, that's what most people thought about. And uh, in fact, Leon Fleischer initially was misdiagnosed as repetitive strain syndrome. But this is one uh, of many misconceptions about dystonia. I strongly believe that uh, patients who have these 
musicians diaspora with dystonias really do not have repetitive strain syndrome but have idiopathic primary dystonia. In some cases, it's genetic. In other cases, uh, it could be just due to some other physiologic abnormalities. But uh, the concept of repetitive strain syndrome or even carpal tunnel syndrome should not be used in patients with dystonia. I think that's a it's a totally different cause of abnormal coordination. So there are genes associated with dystonia? There are at least 15 different gene loci that have been identified. Only very few genes actually have been cloned. Uh, the most common genetic form of dystonia is called DYT1 dystonia. This is a dystonia that usually starts in childhood. Most children who have it present with an inversion of the foot or dystonic rider's cramp around this age of six or seven. And then it progresses to uh, more generalized dystonia. Many, if not most, uh, become wheelchair-bound by the time they are in their teens. Mm. And this is particularly common in Ashkenazi, a Jewish population. So it's a DYT1 dystonia with a gene mutation on chromosome 9. Now, other than the genetic abnormalities, do we know of any other causes? Drug-induced movement disorders and tardive dystonia is only an example of drug-induced uh, dystonia. So the neuroleptic drugs, uh, the anti-emetic drugs and anti-psychotic drugs certainly, certainly can cause persistent dystonia. Trauma to the brain, particularly if it involves the basal ganglia, you know, can cause dystonia. And there are a number of other sort of heterodegenerative diseases that can cause dystonia, including Parkinson's disease. Is it treatable? I think dystonia clearly can be categorized as a treatable movement disorder. It's not curable. We really cannot cure dystonia other than the tardive dystonia. When we discontinue the offending drug, the, the movement disorder may disappear. But the vast majority of patients with dystonia, of course, uh, do not have spontaneous remissions and require some treatment. Probably the most effective treatment for dystonia is uh, injection with uh, Botox, botulinum toxin. You know, we were the first ones to actually do a double-blind placebo-controlled study with uh, Botox, and that study actually re- led to the FDA approval for uh, Botox for the treatment of uh, blepharospasm and other facial spasms, and then subsequently cervical dystonia. Ah, so not just the face. You can use Botox for other dystonias. Right. And particularly, you know, patients who have focal or segmental dystonia, for those patients, botulinum uh, toxin injection, Botox uh, treatment is clearly the treatment of choice. Now, for patients who have more generalized dystonia, we may use some muscle relaxants, anticholinergic drugs such as Artane, and those patients who have very severe generalized dystonia that uh, renders them bedridden or wheelchair-bound may require surgery. Deep brain stimulation is the uh, surgical procedure of choice for patients with generalized dystonia. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Joseph Jankovic. We are discussing dystonias. Now, how do patients typically present with this problem? It depends what part of the body is involved. So going from top to bottom, blepharospasm is probably the most common form of facial dystonia. Patients often start with involuntary blinking. They complain that the sun bothers them. They have to wear sunglasses, not only outdoors, but also indoors. And this eventually evolves into involuntary spasms of the eyelids uh, that renders these patients functionally blind. They are often referred to ophthalmologists and are told that their vision is normal 
which is one of the common problems in diagnosing blepharospasm, yet um, they clearly are disabled by these involuntary spasms. If they have the dystonia of the jaw, they may have trouble opening their jaw when they chew. The tongue may be pushing the food out of their mouth uh, because of lingual dystonia. The most common form of dystonia that we see in our clinic is cervical dystonia, where patients have involuntary spasms of the neck and turning of the head or flexion or extension of the neck, often associated with pain. And then uh, patients may have foot or hand dystonia, usually starting with uh, death-specific dystonia, like during uh, riding or running. In fact, recently we described a series of patients who have runner's dystonia, uh, where they develop a dystonia after running for several miles. Sounds like a good reason to not run. <laughs> not necessarily. That Fortunately, it's a rare disorder, and I would not want the audience to think that uh, <laughs> they should not run because they develop dystonia. I'm always looking for an excuse not to run. <laughs> so that's a new one. I like that one. So other than Botox, some of the medications you've mentioned, the deep brain stimulation, any other types of treatments that might be helpful to these patients? I mentioned tetrabenazine as a treatment for tardive dyskinesia, but tetrabenazine also could be used for the treatment of dystonia. So this is a new drug that hopefully will be approved soon, and I believe that it will play an important role in the treatment of a variety of hypergenetic disorders, including dystonia, particularly tardive dystonia. Is there any room for things like physical therapy, any other sorts of rehabilitation? Well, our physiatry colleagues can play an important role in the treatment of dystonia by for example, helping us design appropriate braces for these patients by involving physical therapists in treatment, providing a range of motion type exercises to prevent contractures. When I first started to see patients with dystonia 30-some years ago, majority of these patients, because they had chronic contraction of muscles, also developed contractures and you know, fixed posture. And because of um, the advances in the treatment, of dystonia over the last three decades, we rarely ever see contractures, but occasionally some patients still have it, and physiatrists can help us design a program to prevent the contractures or to relieve the contractures. Now, what are the psychological implications of living with dystonia? Obviously, it's a very debilitating condition, particularly you know for those patients who have uh, generalized uh, dystonia, and depression has been found to be much more common among patients with dystonia. Cognitively, you know, these patients are usually intact and many have learned to accommodate and use a variety of coping strategies to uh, help them function as, as best as they can. But it is uh, clearly a disorder that has uh, adverse impact not only on the patient but the whole family. Now, when should we refer patients with dystonias to you or to another movement disorder specialist? Well, whenever patients complain that they have spasm of muscle that causes abnormal postures or abnormal movements, if those spasms interfere with their functioning either at home or at work, uh, I think those patients should be targeted for treatment. And botulinum toxin treatment is usually the treatment of choice. And there are very few physicians, in fact, even very few neurologists who are skilled in administering botulinum toxin. So if you refer patients to neurologists, I think uh, the physician should make sure that the neurologist is uh, experienced in uh, using botulinum toxin. So I'm assuming, Dr. Jankovic, that you can't just go down to your medical spa and get a shot of Botox for dystonia. No, and I'm glad you mentioned that the general public has the perception that uh, Botox uh, is used for wrinkles, and therefore they think that anyone who uses Botox is skilled in 
treating not only wrinkles but other conditions, including dystonia. That is not the case. The way Botox is used for the treatment of wrinkles and other cosmetic indications is really quite different from the way we use Botox for the treatment of dystonia. So it really needs to be done by a movement disorder specialist. Yes. Well, thank you so much. We've been discussing dystonias with Dr. Joseph Jankovic. Again, try looking at WeMove, W-E-M-O-V-E dot org, or Jankovic, J-A-N-K-O-V-I-C dot org for further information. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.